right, how are we doing this morning? Good, good. If you have your Bibles, grab those. We are going to start our new series uh, through the book of Jonah, and so we're just going to go uh, verse by verse throughout the book of Jonah. Um, it'll probably take us about eight, nine weeks, lead us right up to Easter, um, and I know you're probably thinking, like, how in the world? I think there's 42, 44 verses in uh, the book of Jonah, and we're going to stretch this thing out over the next eight, nine weeks. You'll find out this morning uh, how we're going to do that, um, and so we're just going to dive into this thing and just let God just work us over, um, and so just to share the heart behind what we're doing a little bit is this. Um, we just want to teach through books of the Bible here. We just want to open up the Scripture and teach through books of the Bible. We'll do some different things from time to time, have little little series and things like that, but we want to um, man, just be well-rounded as the men and women of God. Um, and, and all I know is this, is that in my heart, there are certain tendencies that I have, uh, and I can get hung up on things for a while. And so doing this, it forces me uh, to address and talk about and look at uh, all the more the full counsel of God. And so I want us to be mature men and women in Christ and to know God's word and his full counsel. Um, and the way you do that is look at all the books in the Bible. You, you look at his tota the totality of his uh, word and so that's just the heart behind who we are here what we want to do and and accomplish and so um, so we're just we're just we do that we're just going to teach through uh, certain books of the Bible and walk through and allow the Holy Spirit to just uh, work us over there um, also want to point your attention to this I don't know if you have our app but if you have our app you can follow along this morning uh, if you go to worship on our app under sermon notes uh, they'll have the scriptures or places you can take notes if you want to um, and those notes will be just for you on your phone, so you can go back and visit, uh, things like that. But if you'd like to read ahead or kind of know where we're headed this morning, um, uh, we'll have uh, that there for you. And then I also just want to take a second and commend Austin. Did he not do a good job last week? Yeah. Um, so, brother, I appreciate you for opening up God's Word and, and handling it uh, the way that you did and talking about a difficult uh, topic uh, as it pertains to depression and, and different things like that, especially in the world we're living in now. Um, and we just need to be reminded uh, of God's, God's sovereignty and His love, even in the midst of uh, deep darkness and difficulty. And so, man, I just appreciate you, dude. Appreciate you very much for doing that. Um, and so to kind of get us set up where we're going to be this morning, to, to, to help, help us understand what's taking place, what's going on in this culture, in this day, in this world, when, when Jonah was written, you have Jonah, the prophet there, and he is uh, one of the prophets to the ten northern tribes of Israel. Um, and so he shares a background, or he's around about the same time when the prophet Amos uh, would have been around. And so uh, Israel at this time, this nation's enjoying just a time of, of peace and prosperity. You have Syria and the Assyrians, they're weak at this time. Uh, they're, they're weak. They're, uh, and so what that's doing is allowing uh, the borders to be uh, spread and enlarged even more, much like it was in the day of David or, or King Solomon. And so uh, spiritually at this time, it's a time of spiritual poverty. Um, religion was more ritualistic. There's increasing uh, idolatry. Those type of things are taking place. Uh, justice had become perverted. Um, and so this is just a time of just uh, peace and wealth. That time in, in their history has just made them bankrupt spiritually bankrupt morally, bankrupt ethically. I, I don't know, and I don't want to link here, but I mean, I, I just look at our country. Look, look at kind of where we're at. I, I think there's, there's a lot of different things at play there that we could kind of look and see what's happening and what's taking place and maybe even uh, draw from that. And so what's going to happen is God's going to punish Israel by bringing destruction and captivity from the Assyrians. And, and so God, as a good father, is going to uh, allow them to be disciplined in that form, right? Good, good dads, what do they do? We discipline. Why? Because we, we see better in our kids. And so God does the same thing for his followers. And so uh, that's in the, on the horizon. And in the midst of all of that, what God does is he sends out Jonah to proclaim his message. He sends out this prophet to go and tell a people of, of God's great love. And so 
Uh, when you look at the book of Jonah, some of the, the reality behind it is, is this, is that this is probably one of the most criticized books in all the scripture. Uh, one of the most criticized books. Critics are really, really quick to say that the book of Jonah is nothing more than an allegory, uh, a fairy tale, or even a fable. Um, and so these speculations, what they do is they just claim that the book of Jonah is unreasonable. And, and the, reason, the reason that is is because of one little short snippet in, in this sweet, sweet book. One little short snippet that throws everything up in the air in the critic's mind and heart. And it's the part about the great fish. It's the part about the great fish that swallows Jonah. You, you know the story. Because of his disobedience, what does God do? God allows him to be swallowed by a fish and God gets him where he wants him to be. And I don't want to jump too far ahead in the story as we, over the next eight weeks, look at this. But it's because of that little snippet in the story, man, the critics go crazy. And, and so as, as hard as that may be to believe, as hard as that may be, as difficult as that may be to believe, as followers of Jesus, man, we live by faith. As followers of Christ, uh, we live by faith and following and belief and the Holy Spirit has awakened us to the reality of more. It allows us to see through those kinds of lenses, a, a lens of, of faith uh, more than, than action in that moment. And so we, we see God moving and doing. And so we, we press in and we uh, believe and, and we understand that even something that may see un, seem unreasonable that God can work and move and do. But what I want to do this morning to kind of counter that for a second is this, is I, I want to point out that Jonah is a real historical person. That, that he's not just some made up somebody, a character from mythology, but, th but that he's a, a real person. And I want to I point out how we can know and trust this beloved little book nestled here in the scriptures. And so Jonah as a historical character, I believe, I would land that is the author of this book. And if he's not the author of this book, that's kind of even up in the air that, that he was very heavily involved in the, in the writing of this book. And so what I would do is point you to the Old Testament, to a book that's not disputed to a book that's believed to be historical. It's Second Kings. And what it does is it points to the fact that Jonah is a real-life character, that he is a real-life person in a real-life uh, time period in history. See, in 2 Kings 14, 23 through 25, we see uh, Jeroboam. He's a real person. We see Israel is a real nation. We see Hamath is a real place. And we see Jonah is not just some made-up dude, that he's there in the middle of this book in 2 Kings. And so 2 Kings 14 is a historical record. And so it's reasonable to say that Jonah is a historical character. And, and if that's not enough for the critic, if that's not enough for the person sitting here this morning, then let me point out what I believe to be an even stronger argument for our brother Jonah. The reference that's given by the greatest authority who's ever lived. And that's Jesus. His pers his per he personally gave the authenticity of this historical character of Jonah uh, in the experience of the fish. Listen to what he says in Matthew 12, 38. He says this, he says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So here they are again. Show us a great sign. We want to see you do a cool little magic trick for us, do some little hocus-pocus type thing so we can believe and trust, knowing all good and well Jesus knew that their heart wouldn't be like that. And then he responds in verse 39, Jesus answers and says to them, an evil and adulterous generation seek for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So here we have Jesus answering the Pharisees, how? Uh, by Jonah. He, he points them to the prophet Jonah. He says in verse 44, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So what Jesus quotes, what Jesus says is this, is you've got the prophet Jonah. And this is a story that they would be familiar with. This is a story that they would know. This is a story that they would have heard and had been passed down. They were familiar with the prophet Jonah. And Jesus referenced Jonah and says, if you don't believe that miracle, if you don't believe God doing something amazing in him and through him, and even references the fish, then you'll never believe me. the, The hocus pocus stuff just doesn't work in the heart of man. Because what happens is it just stirs all the more for something bigger and better. Stirs all the more for my genie to do another little trick for me. To perform another little something for me. And so the moment you question the historical record of the book of Jonah, I believe you call into question the credibility of Jesus. I mean, why would you? There's tons of other stories that Jesus could reference. Tons of other prophets that Jesus could point to. And what does he do? He goes to our boy Jonah. He tells them of Jonah. And so I don't know about you, but for me, I choose to side with Jesus every time. I, I choose to land where he lands. I want to follow after him, and I want to take serious whatever it is that he has to say. I want to take notice of whatever it is that he has to say. Uh, th- there's this English uh, literary critic and author. He writes this, Charles, Charles Reedy. He says this. He says, Jonah is the most beautiful story ever written in so small a compass. He says, it is well to keep in mind that we have before us a literary gem, not just a fish story. See, the fish is neither the hero of the story nor the, nor the villain of the story. That's not the fish's point. The book is not even about the fish, although the fish becomes very important in the plan of God and what he does and what he works. See, the difficulty is keeping the right perspective of this book. The difficulty is keeping the right understanding and our eyes on the heart of the matter. And so in the story of Jonah, you've got this fish, and he is among one of the props, but he does not occupy the star's dressing room. No, no, church. No, we must distinguish between the essentials and the incidentals in the scripture, particularly in the story. We we need to distinguish between the essentials, what's important, what's of most importance, what's really happening, and then the incidentals, the the, the sidebars of what's taking place to add to. And so the incidentals in this book is this, the fish, the gourd, the east wind, the boat, even the city of Nineveh is an incidental. But the essentials here in the book of Jonah is Jehovah and Jonah. It's God and man. That's the essential. That's the heart. That's what this story points to. That's what this book is all about. God and man. And how God comes after man. And how God has a heart and a desire for man. The more wicked, the more he goes after. The more he he wants to save and rescue and redeem. And so I believe that the story of Jonah is one that goes much deeper than just a good story we can tell our kids at night before bedtime. More than just a story we can open up and kind of quote and tell in a children's ministry. Man, that there is some deep knowledge and truth. And then there's just a wealth of understanding of the heart and nature and character of our God in this book. And so we firsthand see the sovereignty of God being exhibited over creation. You see that in the storm. You see that in the fish. You see that in everything else in this story. This book is filled with so much of what does allow the Holy Spirit just to press us to God all the more. And allow the story to shape us and mold us all the more into the image of God. So it's more than a children's story. It's more than a fable. It's more than just a cute little thing that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. And it's the infallible, inerrant word of God spoken from the very mouth of Jesus to show us of the importance of the heart of his Father. So I'm going to ask you this morning if we pray with me and then we'll jump into what God's got for us. We'll we'll, we'll cover two verses this morning, but, 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 but pray with me. Would you, Father, we love you. 
Jesus, we need you. God, I just thank you for the men and women in this room. Father, I thank you for those who are tuning in online this morning to, uh, to watch and to worship that way. Father, I know it's a crazy world we're living in. And so, God, we just ask that, that your mercy and your grace would be present, whether online or here in this room this morning. Father, that your Holy Spirit would work and move. God, we want to give you freedom to do whatever you see fit in this place. God, we, we want to say that this, this, is, this is your time to proclaim and do whatever you need. And so, Father, I ask that even in that, that you would use me somehow, some way. God, move me out of the way that the men and women would see you and your heart. Jesus, I thank you for this story. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the heart that it's going to portray and show us. God, move in this place, I beg of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So my hope this morning is to do this, is to point us to the fact that God spoke to man a very important message, and I believe that he still speaks to us today. That's what I want to try to accomplish this morning in this place. First thing is this, God speaks. And so what we see, Jonah 1.1, the book starts out with God speaking directly to the prophet. God speaks directly to him. We don't see this in any other scriptures uh, in in this way at all, but this is how this book starts out. Jonah 1.1 says this, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... So what we see here is God speaking to Jonah. He has something he needs Jonah to hear. He's got something he wants Jonah to do. And so what does he do? He speaks to him. We're not sure if it's an audible voice. We're not sure if it's just pressing upon his heart. But he speaks to Jonah. And so my question for you this morning is this, right out of the gate. Has God, or when was the last time God spoke to you? Has God spoken to you? Or when was the last time God spoke to you? And hear me, I'm not here to say that God doesn't speak in an audible voice. I've never heard it myself, but I know that our God is big, and I'm not going to box him in on what he's able to do and what he's not able to do, because what I see in scriptures is that he audibly speaks to people sometimes. And he, audibly, and he speaks to people in many different ways. So I'm, I'm not here to say that he has or he hasn't. I just know that he hasn't spoke to me but what I do in an audible voice, but what I do know is that he speaks to me. And he does it in many different ways, many types of ways. And so I just want to pull back the curtain for a moment, kind of just pull you into what it's, what it's like for me. So even going through this book of Jonah, even as I prepare and as I pray, this, this has been about a year in the making. As I read through it a little bit last year and began to pray about it, and uh, as our budget year approached this year, one of the things that I felt like God pressed upon my heart or spoke to me about, man, was our dire need for missions. For our dire need as a church, as the body of Christ, to, to be a player in what God's doing in this world. To join in and be a part, to get outside the four walls that, we, that encapsulate us here in, in this place because there's so much more to church than what happens on a Sunday morning in this place. So much more church. And so as God began to just kind of press upon my heart and, and through different things that happened or circumstances that would come up or, or stories I would hear, as I began to press more and more and more, I began to pray. And I can remember as we got close to the budget year, I sat down with those, those guys and Don, our financial secretary, and I, I looked at him and I said, I, I need you guys to pray about something. I said, this is just on my heart. This is just, I, I believe, I believe in this, that we need to do this. And he says, God, what is it? And I said, so our missions budget last year was $11,000. And I'm going to be nice for a moment. That's puny. Pathetic. We need to do something different. I mean, that's not us putting our money where our mouth's at. That's not us being players in, in what God's doing in this world. That, that's, that, that's, I think that's us kind of stepping aside as a church. I said, so what we need to do is we need to step that up. And they asked, what are you thinking? And I said, we need to double it. At least. At least double it. 
And they came back to him and said, we'd be crazy not to. And, and, and so our mission budget doubled. And so right now I'll be praying because I'm, I'm going to go crazy again next year. We're doing it this year. Why, why would we stop? And I'm going to go even crazier because one day my heart, my desire, my prayer, the vision that God's given me or put on my heart is this. I want to plant a church in another country. And I want to send $20,000 over to a guy that's pastoring it. And I want us to be able to, to visit every other month or, or once a month every I mean, I just want us to go and I want us to be a part in this world uh, and what God's doing in this, in this world. But I don't want to do it at the detriment of our own community. I, I don't, I mean, it's easy for us to sign up to be rock stars for Jesus in another country for a week. So, so I want us to focus this year, all the while preparing our heart for next year, on what God would do with us. I want us to focus here too. And I want us to do some stuff here. So I began to pray and I shared that with them. And then lo and behold, on top of that, God had put on my heart about two years ago. This is God speaking two years ago to Scott. And I just couldn't shake it. I said, we've got to do something as a church to reach this community. I mean, our heart's always been big. And I put out a video this week on Facebook and, and kind of shared some of what God did there. But, but, but I mean, I want to reach this community. And one of the ways that we are intentional, one of the ways uh, that we want to serve, uh, even you here in this place, is, man, we love kids. We, we love youth. And so God pressed upon my heart. I didn't hear a voice, but what I did hear was just the prompting of the Holy Spirit in my life saying, Scott, let's do something. And that one took two years to get to fruition. As we pulled in an, a 15-passenger minibus. I mean, I struggled driving a car, and I got to drive this thing from Chesney to here. And that, the whole time, I'm crying. There's one time my dad was following me over, and I, I, just, I hit the curb. <laughs> Sorry. It, was, it, it didn't hit. It was a little bump. Rubbin's racing, right? So I bumped the curb. I'm like, I gotta quit. I'm driving, man. But I was just, I'm just reminiscing on what God had put on my heart and what he had done. And we've got a dang bus sitting out there now. Why? Because there's an after-school ministry that we're going to start. Why? Because we want to reach kids. And in that, there's, there's about what? About eight kids signed up to be a part of this. I mean, summer's still four months away. Nobody knows nothing about us, but we want to be a player in this community and reaching this world. So God presses, so that's how God speaks. And even this way, as I've studied and as I've looked at it, and that's how we're going to get to spend eight, nine weeks in this thing. Because as I get stuck on stuff, God just speaks and presses upon my heart certain things to tap into, to pay attention to. Little words that just stick out to me that I just can't shake, that are, that are just there and just eat at me and stirring at me. And so for me, it's one of those things that God, God speaks. And so I, I want to go back because I've jumped something in my notes and this is just too good to jump. I just, I just I want to share with you this whole thought of praying through and God's pressing upon. And, and, so, and I just want to point your attention to something that I believe is very, very important. Like, like about three weeks ago when we give, give $3,000 to this community through $50 a family in this place. And we said, go pay it forward. Go do something good in this world for the glory and honor of Christ. And we've set you up to do that. Like, like that, some of the stories that I've heard. And we're going to be getting some videos soon about some of that. And, and then even this week, church, and I just want you, I want you to know what you've given to, what you've said, yes, Scott, we believe in. We believe God spoke to us as a church to do. It's stuff like this. Like, Dave, show them right quick. So we support a lady in this church called PK Outreach. Patty Kelly, stand back there in the back. Wave at Patty. Hey, Patty. Um, she will kill me later, but that's all right. So we support her ministry, and she has got a ministry where she loves on the unlovable. She goes to the inner city, and she just takes care of, of those that, that nobody wants to take care of, that has tons of kids, and, and just been through horrific times of tragedy and different things like that. And, and so this year, we stepped up and said, you know, we're going to give $5,000 to her ministry this year. And that's what we voted on in September, leading into October. 
And then this past week, she's been talking to me, and I've been praying, and I've just been, okay, let's, let's talk a little bit. Let's figure out what we can do. But there's this woman. You're going to have to help me here for a second. There's this woman who's adopted some of her grandkids, nieces and nephews. And she's got a how many? Nine. Well, I don't know the last time you've ridden in a minivan. Nine kids and a driver equals ten. Uh, there's not that many seats. So she got pulled over about a week ago. Yeah, like a little clown car, right? And the police walks up. And he's like, what in the way? He lets her go with the warning. He says, don't you do that again. So what does Patty do? Patty's been looking. She jumps into action because this is this woman's heart. This is this ministry's heart. And this is our church's heart. And we want to support and do. And so she says, Scott, let me do something. And so we begin to pray. I said, let me see what I can put together. Let me see what we can do. And, and she, she, we put our heads together. There's not much to put here. There's a lot put there. So we put it together. And we begin to, to pray and seek God. Because I believe God wanted to do something. And so what you did, church, not even what you did is you give $1,000 to that van. Look at that. Look at those kids. And what she did, what she shared with me, I'm going to try to keep it together. What she shared with me this past week, and, and I think there's a family in here, some families maybe that sponsored our Sunday school class, some that sponsored these kids. But what they wanted for for Christmas, more than presents or toys or, or something, my kids want toys. They want a van. These kids didn't want toys. They wanted a van just so that they could ride around in together as a family. That's what they wanted. And so this week, God worked it out, and, he made, and so we said as a church, we can, we can give that, and God helped raise other people up, and, and they gave, and so they bought a daggum van for this family. I mean, church, that's, that's not just their story. That's not just PK outreach story. That's our story. Why? Because we're players in the game. Why? Because God speaks to us, and we listen. And God said, I want to spend some money this year. I want to spend some time. I want to spend some bodies in serving and doing. And so that story is our story. It's your story. It's this church's story. Why? Because God speaks and he still speaks. And we want to listen and we want to obey. That's what we want to do. And so I would stand here this morning and I would argue this point that I believe he speaks far more than we're willing to listen. I believe that God speaks far more than we're willing to listen. So it's not that he doesn't speak in our day. Now, I believe it's that we just don't do the difficult work of listening. We just don't do the difficult work of listening. Because hear me, church, there's a big difference between hearing and listening. See, to hear is to perceive by the ear sounds being made. I'm, I'm guilty of that a lot. I hear sounds all the time. But listening is giving the attention to the sound, taking notice and acting upon the sounds that were made, the words that were formed, the sentence that were constructed, the prompting on the heart. That's what listening does. It gives attention to it, takes notices and acts upon it. And so I'm afraid that in our day, we've got really good at hearing but not listening. We maybe hear God from time to time, but do we listen to him? Do we really Listen to it. It's like, it's like with my wife. Like she'll say something. I mean, I'll be looking at her in the eye and she'll say something to me and I will hear, but I won't be listening to a thing that she's saying. You better be careful, brother. I mean, treading on some dangerous ground over there. I got your back after service, though. You hear me? So she'll be talking to me. She'll be saying stuff and I'll be, right? I mean, I'm engaged. Yeah. Five minutes later, she comes up, well, why didn't you do what we just talked about? And I'm like, uh, What? What did we just talk about? Scott, you looked me in the eye and you shook your head. I said, but did I make a sound? And I try to wiggle my way out of it. I feel like that's us as a, as a people today following Jesus. I, I, I hear you, God, but I don't listen to you. 
God, you prompt and you say and you do some things, but I'm just, I'm not listening to you. And so it's not enough just to hear God. We as his people, we need to act upon what he tells us to do. We need to be obedient. It's the obedient factor. And I believe one of the reasons, that there, there's, a, there's many here, but I believe one of the reasons we don't listen to the voice of God is because we're afraid of what he might ask us to do. Let me backtrack. I think one of the real reasons why we don't listen to God is because we're lazy. Like we just live in a lazy culture. And, and hear me, there is work that's involved in hearing the voice of God and listening to the voice of God and the prompting of the Holy There's work in that. And I believe one of the reasons is we're lazy, but I believe the second reason that helps, helps us not listen or not follow or, or not really take action upon what he asks us to do is because, because of what he might ask us to do or what he might ask us to stop doing. And that's my fear is that God speaks more than we realize. But we just don't want to listen because if we listen, then that means we're going to have to act upon something or we're going to have to stop acting upon something that we're acting upon. And, and I don't know about you, but, but me, like I, I like doing Scott stuff. Sometimes more than I like doing God's stuff. And for him to invade that space, I say, all right, big boy, you're mine. I haven't called you to do that. I haven't asked you to go there. I haven't, none of that stuff. It's time to give it up and come on and follow me and die to self. Church, that takes work. That's difficult. The part about following him and dying to self is not easy. And so I don't want to sugarcoat it for you this morning. I don't want to say, oh, this, this following Jesus thing is a piece of, it's not a piece of cake. It's very difficult. It's easy to be lost and follow after the ways of this world. That's easy. When you give your life to Christ and follow after him in salvation, the act of dying to self daily, that's what he requires. And he asks us not to give up some, not to give up most, but to give up everything. Absolutely everything everything and I don't know about you but that scares me to death so as the pastor of this church to stand on the stage this morning and say you know what there's some areas I just don't like to follow God and what does he do he lovingly presses as a good father would all right boy but you're mine I'm doing this work in you I've got a plan there's some stuff in you that's a little funky we need to get out of and I want to work and do and so I have to press in and hear God so, so ways, ways God speaks I just want to share with you just a few ways real fast that I believe God speaks I believe one of the greatest ways that our God speaks, and I think one of the reasons why we don't hear him is because of this book right here. You, you want to hear God's voice? You want to you feel him speak in your life? You, you pick this thing up and start reading it. This is how God communicates. I believe more than any other way is right here. All I know is whenever I read this thing, I'm not going to call that a thing, I apologize. When I read God's holy, infallible word, Man, man, he starts to work and he starts to uh, chip away at it and he starts to, to do some stuff in the heart of Scott whenever, whenever I pick this, this up and start to read it and start to dive into it. And I don't mean just like read it for the sake of saying, okay, uh, it's my, it's my um, time today to read it. Okay, I've read the word. Uh, no, okay, amen, let's go. And when, I, when, I, when I pick the thing up and I read it and I dive into it and I, and I read a part and I don't understand it, I'm like, God, what do you mean by that? Or who is that guy in the scripture? Or what's, what's really happening in that culture, in that world? Well, what's really, like, like church, that's work. That's hard. And, and I know we like to play that game of, well, I'm just not smart enough, never did Bible college. I'm just, oh, uh, you are as smart as you want to be. You, you are as close in your relationship to Jesus Christ right now in this moment as you want to be. 
because this is readily available for everyone in this place this morning and watching online. This is readily available. And you can go as deep as you want to. The resources that we have today, the opportunities to dive into God's Word and know Him all the more, shame on us for not doing it. Shame on us for not hearing His voice. It's not that He's not speaking. We're just not, we're not doing the difficult work of getting in His presence to hear Him. And one way we do that is through His Word. I think the next way we do that is through prayer. And this is what I love about prayer. Like prayer is just about, uh, as just much about listening as it is talking. I I know in our world, in our culture, we like to think of prayer as like, I just take God my list and he just, like like Amazon, and he kind of sends it within two days or less. And if he doesn't, then there's something wrong with God. But that's not the case. That's not the way prayer works. That's not what even the heart of prayer is. It's not a list of me just to give God, but it's a time of me to be in his presence. Yes, he wants to hear my heart. Yes, he wants me to give him my list and pour it all out there, but he wants me to be still and know as well. He wants me to be quiet and hear the still small voice that comes from the Father. I think another way that God speaks is through fellow believers. It's through doing life together. See, we're not meant to go through life alone or try to maverick this thing and just be by ourselves and, and just, just go at it that way. But, but it's through other believers who press upon us, who, who share with us, who say certain things to us, who, who hold us accountable, who, who do a number of things in our life. I think another way that, that God speaks is through events and happenings. I don't know about for you, but for me, just looking at this world, it's, it has driven me all the more to God's word and, and seeing our current state of our culture. Man, where our world's at what's going on out there and through that God just pricking my heart with certain things I just believe that's God speaking I believe through the Holy Spirit that's impressing certain things on me I think another way that he speaks is is like this this morning I think right now God's speaking to the hearts of men and women in this place and I think for you sitting out here in this place that don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior what I believe is the gospel is being proclaimed as we see the heart and character nature of God the Holy Spirit is just wooing you and reminding you of the great love of God that, that God is an intentional God and God speaks and he wants to speak to you and just like we're going to see here in a minute as God gives his message to Jonah he's got a purpose for Jonah and he's got a purpose and a plan for you I mean man does that not, does that not amp you up about God? Oh, that you're just some old South Carolina person living in Bowling Springs or Union dude over there just doing your thing down in Union and he's got nothing to do with it. No, man, he's got a plan and a purpose just like he did in the day of Jonah. He's got it today. And so I don't think it's that God doesn't speak like he did in the day of old. I just believe we have a struggle of doing the difficult work of stilling our soul long enough to hear his voice. Just stilling our soul long enough to hear his voice. And all I've got to say is this as we move on is, is that you'll never hear him speak if you're not spending time with him, diving in, being intentional to try to listen. Not hear, but listen. What we see next is this is God's message. We see God speak first, then we see uh, God's message. Now what God wants to say to, to Jonah, this is the difficult part for Jonah. This is the struggle and the rub for Jonah. And so, and so what do you do when God gives you uh, difficult words? When God challenges you and stretches you. And so look at what he says. He begins in verse 2. He says this. He says, arise and go. So what he starts out saying to Jonah is, boy, get up. You, you, you got to get going. I've got something for you. And so here in this construction, in this language, it's, it's, it brings about this thought of immediate. It's very important that Jonah goes now. 
So when God speaks here, he's very intentional. He has a purpose as he speaks to Jonah. He gives Jonah his direct calling to do something. And this is what he's going to do. He's going to give him the coordinates to go to. He says, so arise and go where? To Nineveh, that great city. So to Nineveh, I don't know what you know about Nineveh. I don't know the last time you've been to Nineveh, but uh, last time I've studied of Nineveh, but, but the, the, the beautiful great city of Nineveh. Let me introduce you to for just a moment. This city was a chief Assyrian city, so it's a, it's a foreign Gentile city to Jonah. Jonah, good, good Jewish boy, good clean boy, is going to go down there to those dirty Gentiles and have to intermingle with them and share some stuff that God's going to put on his heart. So there is the struggle to begin with. And then even more as we dive into this great city of Nineveh, these are people that were well known in the ancient city for their brutality and cruelty. Very brutal, very cruel. It was said about the people of Nineveh, the, the, the army of Nineveh, that city, that they would tear off a person's lips. An invader's lips, a prisoner's lips. They, how do you even rip somebody's lips off? I mean... Is that not crazy? I mean, I, I know we like to give Jonah a hard time and we like to throw him under the bus a little bit, but think about that for a second. It would be like us going into inner city, New York City, like, like, like the, the places you just don't go by yourself. Or, or it would be like going in just those hostile, hostile places. And that's where God asks Jonah to go. These people will rip your lips off. It's also said that they would pull your hands from the sockets, eventually tearing the flesh and ripping your hands off the end of your arms. This is the kind of people that God is seeking and going after. See, they were well known for their brutality. They would, rumor has it, they would fillet a victim. I mean, I like my steak thick. So if you're just not familiar with filleting, what that is is that you just cut nice little thin slices so that stuff cook up real good. But they would fillet their victims. Rise up against us, come on. It, it was said what they would do is after they finished uh, the torture of, of those that they captured or those who would try to invade, after they, after they um, uh, captured them and finished torturing them, then what they would do is that they would leave huge piles of their skulls laying around. Because they want to remind people, bring it. Come on, you, you, you want some of this? Ask the other, oh, you can't, he don't have lips. Go down there and knock on his door and have him, oh, you can't because he don't have hands to answer his door. How do you like your steak? You not see that reminder of those big old tomb of skulls right there? All that heap of, yeah. That was just last week. Bring it. See, that's the city that God asks Jonah to go to. That's where he calls him. So I want to press you for a moment here and ask you this. Where has or is God asking you to go that would cause you to get out of your comfort zone? Maybe your Nineveh this morning looks different. Maybe your Nineveh is a coworker, a family member, one of your children, Maybe the scary place that God's asked you to go to share his sweet message of redemption and salvation through his son. They may not rip you limb for limb or fillet you, but 
but they may tear you down or they may rip you apart verbally or they may shun you or may have nothing to do with you ever again. And hear me, I get it. Church, church, I'm with you. And it seems to be, and I don't know, God just does this. And oh, I hate it. I'm just, just going to be honest with you. I hate when he does this. Whenever he calls us to step out of our comfort zone, like, like I'm safe here, you know what I'm saying? Like this is good, it's warm, it's clean, it's, I get this. But God, do you want me to stand there? But what if they ask a question I don't know? Uh, what if they say something I don't agree with? What if they make fun of me on Facebook? What if they criticize? What if, I mean, Nineveh can look like a bunch of different places, a bunch of different circumstances, a bunch of different things. But what I've learned, and we'll see in this story as it unfolds, is that when God calls you to get out of your comfort zone, he gives us the promise to walk with us. And he gives us the promise to equip us with everything we need for the moment of the battle that we're in. Every time. Every time. You see that over and over and over in Scripture. And I've got story after story after story of, of God doing the same thing. Uh, let, let me give you one real quick. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, this missionary. Her name's Elizabeth Elliot. Um, th this was back in the, in the 50s. Um, uh, Elizabeth Elliot, just this, this mammoth of a woman of God. And listen to how God uses her. Listen to how God calls her out of her comfort zone. So she, is, she attended, this is her heart. She attends Wheaton College and she studies Greek. Greek's the original language of the New Testament. And so she studies Greek. Why does she do that? Because she wants to translate the Bible for remote peoples of the world. So she wants to learn the actual language of the scriptures. So then she can go and she can learn the language of the people she's going to serve. Why? So she can translate the scriptures into that language. Why? So they can hear the gospel. So they can hear the stories of Jesus. So they can come to be saved. And so while she's there at Wheaton, what happens is she meets the love of her life, Jim Elliott. And both of them end up landing in Ecuador after graduation. They graduate, they land in Ecuador after they graduate. Why? Because Jim felt called to mission work right along with her to reach the unreached people of this world. And so this led them to Ecuador there, and they're in the rainforest of, of Ecuador. He is, and he could fly planes, and as he's flying the planes, he's circling, he sees this, this remote village out there in Ecuador. And what does he do? A few days and a few weeks, he just drops stuff out of his plane, supplies for this unreached people group. He's trying to earn favor. He's trying to earn trust. And so he's flying around, and they're dropping stuff out of their windows for these people. This is in the 50s, so this isn't like far removed. So he's there in Ecuador for the Akuas people. No outsider had ever encountered them. And in 1955, Jim and, his, Jim and four other men, they end up landing. And as they land, they get out of the door. They're thinking, okay, we're going to be okay. We've, it's us again. They, they recognize our plane. We've given them all these, these goods and this stuff. And as they get out of the door and they start to walk toward and approach them in a non-threatening way, what happens? They chuck spears, killing all four men. All four, and, and this tribe, uh, they, they, were, they, they were cannibals. They take their life, kill them, speared them to death. But listen to Elizabeth's side of the story. Because after Jim dies, Elizabeth and her daughter 
Valerie, along with Rachel Saint, who happens to be the sister of Nate Saint, one of the slain missionaries, lived amongst that tribe. They end up earning favor. They end up earning, earning, earning their trust. And, and they move in. And they, over a period of time, they get to, to live with them and get to, to know them. And, and while they're there, she hears the story of why Jim had been killed. The tribesmen were afraid that the outsiders would come into their home, take away their freedom. And listen to how she responds to that. These people were just trying to preserve their own way of life. She lost her husband to the people she's going to live with at their hand. And her thinking and reasoning is that they were just trying to preserve their way of life. And so what we know about the story is this, is that Elizabeth and Rachel were able to see many of that tribe come to faith in Christ. You're talking about stepping out of a comfort zone. You're talking about God calling someone to somewhere. They took the life of her husband and she still wanted to see him saved. So I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know what's going on in you. I don't know who's picking on you. But man, what a story of faith. Man, what a story of God calling someone out of their comfort zone. What a heart and understanding of the gospel. Her desire to go back and share Jesus with the very ones that killed her husband. So God is about his glory. And so when he speaks and he gives us a difficult word, it's for our good and his glory. God wanted to see a people group saved. God wanted to see a people group rescued. Now let's look at what God's message is to these people of Nineveh, this wicked, wicked people. He says this at the end of two. He says, and call out, Jonah, go, arise, go, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So God wants Jonah to go and announce his judgment on these people because of their sin. Look at what he's walking into. I mean, I I don't know how you talk to God. And this, I don't know about you, but this, I just love this about Scripture. And as we get into this story, we get to see it more and more and more. And you probably know it because what do we know about Jonah? Jonah doesn't do what God asks him to do. And I don't know, I don't know where the critic is in the room or where your heart is or even watching online this morning. But that's what I love about the scriptures. It doesn't sugarcoat this stuff. I mean, think about it for a second. Like, like God could have picked a much better story. Okay, I'll just listen and do it. Ah, it's pretty nice and neat. But you don't see that in the scriptures, do you? You see real and raw That's what you see. You see disobedience. He's a prophet, for goodness sakes. He's a man called by God to go share and do. And what does he do? Not want to go share and do. God uses him anyways. Even in the disobedience. Even in his rebellion. Jonah's sin was just as horrific as the people of Nineveh. And Jonah's missing it. And God still approaches, as we'll see in the story, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but God wants Jonah to go now. And I love that about, I love the rawness of the scriptures. Go announce that judgment. The sin of the people of Nineveh is so great. He wants to give Jonah that special call of redemption. And so church, I just want to press you as we're winding down. That's us. That's our call today, church. We're called as the redeemed people of God to proclaim Jesus to this lost world. Every single one of us in this room who takes the name of Jesus, it's not just a pastor, a professional church staffer's job to do that, or an elder or a trustee. No, 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 no. It's, it's the men and women of God. You don't believe me? Listen to what Paul says this, uh, to the, in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.18. He says this, all of this is from God. 
And, and the church at Corinth, was, it was a jacked up, messed up church. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, who is us, the redeemed, the believers, those believers there at Corinth. What? The ministry of reconciliation. He wasn't talking to a group of pastors. He wasn't talking to a group of elders, a group of deacons. No, he was talking to the redeemed men and women of Christ. Verse 19 says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. We're on his side, we're on his team to stand in the gap for people to proclaim the good news of Jesus. He says, ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. How crazy is that? He used messed up, rebellious Jonah. And guess what? He'll use messed up, rebellious us if we'll let him. That's his plan, that, that through us, God makes his appeal. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul's pleading with those, even there in that moment, that, that don't know Jesus. Be reconciled. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Oh, church. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that we might become what? The righteousness of God. Church, that's the story of reconciliation. Man, in our darkest, worst rebellion, God comes for us. Because he wants to rescue and redeem and save. And when he saves us, then he calls us to go do the same thing and tell people the glorious news of the gospel. See, the fact that reconciliation is needed, it just points to the reality that, that relationship with God is broken. Sin alienates people from God. Romans 5.10 says that, that the lost are, are enemies of God. And so when Christ died on the cross, he satisfied God's judgment and he made it possible for God's enemies. That's us, every one of us who, who came to faith in Christ were enemies of God to find peace in him. So our reconciliation to God, then it involves the exercise of his grace and forgiveness over sin. And the result of Jesus' sacrifice is that our relationship has changed from enemy to friend. That's what we, the church, followers of Jesus, just as Jonah is called to do. As they come back up to lead us, that's what we're called to do, ministry of reconciliation. So you don't have a ministry? You don't think you have a ministry? No, no God's called you to ministry, regardless of what your vocation is, regardless of what you're, you're wired for, regardless of what you're specialized. He's called us to the vocation or to, to ministry in, in the ministry of reconciliation, to calling this lost world to their great need of Jesus. This is a stat I've used before and one just wrecks me. But it says this, I read this a few years back. It says that 90% of believers will die without ever sharing their faith. Do you, how, do you know how much stupid, ridiculous stuff I talk about all the time? To, to random, pointless strangers that I don't even know? Dumb stuff. Stupid stuff. All the while, God has given me the call of reconciliation to the lost world. And how slack I am in that. How slack we are in that as a church, as a people. 90% of believers, those who say they have come to faith in Jesus Christ and that he is the greatest love of their life, the greatest desire of their life. Nine out of 10 will die without ever telling one person about Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel with somebody. What that looks like on this campus this morning is we're back to probably around 130 to 150 people. What that means, and I'm going to be generous here, is that 15 people in this building will have told somebody about Jesus Christ before they die. 
the love of your life and you don't even share them with people. But it makes me uncomfortable. Me too. I get scared. So do I. What if they ask? I know. How do you answer that question? What if they point out? I don't know all the answers either. All I'm called to do is tell my story of what God's done in my life and the great news of Jesus Christ. Dying on the cross for the sin of man. That's what he calls Jonah to do. So my hope and my prayer for us over the next eight, nine weeks is that God will just give us a heart to proclaim his great love to a world that is in desperate need. Church, if it, there is no better time than right now. There, you, people have got questions like crazy. Holy cow, they got questions like crazy. There is some like whacked out type stuff stirring out there. Is this the end of the world? Is this, is this how's it, what, uh? I don't even know what that was. But they're asking that too. This Jesus, I mean, they are looking for, the lost world is looking for hope. They're looking for an answer and we've got it. If we'll just tell them about it. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be peachy king, everything's going to be great, that everything's going to work and fit in just like it's supposed to and like we think it should. It'll fit in like it's supposed to with God and how he sees it fitting and working. Man, but we've got story after story after story that even in our, even in our misunderstanding or not knowing that God is still faithful and good in the midst of it. Faithful and good in the midst of it. Like, like I talked to a dear sister this morning and, and we were just talking for a minute and she just kind of shared some stuff with me and as she did and as I was talking to her, and my heart breaks because like the last two, two and a half years for them has just been hell. I mean, I mean, I mean like it's just been awful. And, and like you would think, okay, okay, okay. And like, so this, this is my, as I walk away, my conversation with God, like, like 10 minutes before I prayed, I'm like, God, are you serious? Like, like, can, like, can you lighten up just a bit for them, please? I mean, honestly, what the heck are you doing? I mean, two years, God, get off their back. I go in, it's my nice little prayer with the band. I come out here. God just kind of deals with me for a minute before I come up here. God speaks all kinds of ways, church. And you know what he told me? He said, boy, you, you, just, you just be quiet and wait. I'm doing something in him. Oh, I'm working. Yeah, it's God. And, and from this side of heaven, it doesn't, it, it kind of looks a little hairy, a little crazy. Uh, maybe it looks like I'm, I'm going at him pretty hard, but, uh, but I was just reminded, and I even shared with, with her this, was, was man, I think it's A.W. Tozer who says, the man or woman that God uses the greatest, he wounds the deepest. I don't like to get cut. But what I've learned is that when God cuts, he steps in with the salve. And he heals and he does. And usually when God cuts, it's because he's cutting away something. And he's causing us to be more dependent, more desperate, more in love with. And I know that doesn't make sense. And I know that that's so difficult to understand and comprehend. But God doesn't do anything haphazard. Everything is intentional and purposeful. He's not like us on a whim. God is aware of tomorrow aware of that so my hope is that we'll get a heart of that and we'll see that even in the difficulty even in the struggle even in the times that doesn't make sense why Nineveh God and my hope is that God would ignite us individually as we corporately as and corporately as a body and give us even a greater desire for missions may he give us a bigger to, a desire to give as well as to go Remember, we'll have the opportunity the next coming months to, to do something in our community as well as this, this coming year 
to engage our community, to engage the outside areas of our community. And so my prayer is that God will convict us to get involved and be an active agent in reconciliation through this church. An active agent of it. And I pray that he makes you aware of the opportunities to even engage with the gospel and that he'll give you the boldness that you need to have those conversations. That's my prayer. That's my hope. So we're going to be rolling out stuff over the next few months that we want to do, that we want to be a part of in this community, that we want to share the gospel, that we want to live this out, do the crazy things that don't make sense, like start a, an after-school ministry in the middle of a pandemic with no kids, no income, and God raise up people to be a part of that and to do an amazing work there. And so what we see is this, is that God speaks and gives Jonah a time, a purpose, and a message. And hear me, church, he'll do the same thing for us. May we hear and be obedient in proclaiming his great love for fallen mankind. Pray with me. Father, we love you, Jesus. We need you. Father, I pray this morning, God, that your gospel was heard in the hearts of man, God, that not, not just heard, but your gospel will be obeyed and listened to. Father, that whatever it is that you've spoke to the heart of your people in this place this morning, God, that you would do a great, great work in. So, Father, as we prepare to take communion here in a few minutes, God, I even pray that, that, that as we do that, God, that you would stir up certain things in our heart maybe that we need to repent of. God, disobedience, whether it be from not sharing this week or not doing what you've asked us to, Father, God, to maybe even a, a sin that we cling to and hold on to, Father, that you would break our heart over our sin. God, that you would just move in this place this morning. God, I thank you for this sweet story of Jonah. And it's more than just a fish that swallows a guy. But it's about a God who cares for people. It's about a God who is compassionate, a God who is pursuing, a God who is intentional and loving. And so, Father, give us that heart. Help us see with your eyes. Jesus, we love you. We need your name. We pray. Amen. If you stand, they're going to lead us this morning um, in this time. If you want to come pray, this is going to be a time you can even uh, search your heart as we prepare to take communion here in just a few moments. Paul says that in, in Corinthians, that, man, you examine yourself first before you partake of this this is a serious act of worship and taking communion so you just be obedient as God leads you this morning in this place